Before we begin today's episode, we have to give our patrons over at Patreon a quick shout. They are Hanson Screen Printing, Rock the Green, Eric Sari, Andy Herbrandt, Kelby Goodman, Lauren L., Paul Campaneshi and Aperba. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on here at the podcast and paying for this, all this awesome Wisconsin music. Hey, welcome to the Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. We are your hosts, Eric Sturgeon. And I'm Russell Sorry. This podcast is about all things Wisconsin, history, music, culture, and beer. Although we don't often use strong language, the content is not intended for young audiences, so listener discretion is advised. If you love the bluegrass music you hear in this intro, please check out Dang It's from Madison, Wisconsin by visiting their website, dang-its.com. Now on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast, your weekly dose of the Dairy State. Uh, We are your hosts. I am Eric. And I'm Russ. And uh, today we will be discussing... Uh, for uh, any band nerd or musician, uh, uh, the origins that uh, that may be wildly recognized uh, by us music folks, the the major sheet music producer, uh, Hal Leonard. You've probably seen it uh, if you've ever stepped foot into uh, a music store at all, oh, yeah. um, or if you've been in a band at like school, uh, part of high school or middle school or something. Hal Leonard makes most of those sheet books if and, not and almost everything. all of them. To be yeah, honest. it's crazy. Yeah, and they're and they're you know right down the street from uh, my old apartment. Um, headquartered right here, so it's it's really cool uh, to have uh, such an amazing and iconic uh, piece of of music legend uh, right here. Um, so we will talk a, a lot about that. We'll go into great detail about uh, the origins and everything, but we also have great Wisconsin music from Killdozer, um, which uh, all makes sense when it comes to the interview. Right, you right. Know? You'll you'll see it all kind of uh, come to uh, fruition and, and and come together here. Uh, we have another beer review for you. We have another installment of the infamous How Many Locals segment. Um, we also have, uh, uh, obviously, very a very special very interview. special interview with uh, Frank Anderson. Um, the man at Ground Zero when grunge took off. Really? It, it, I mean, it, you could argue that, uh, you know, the, he was right in the thick of it all, uh, making it happen. So it was really cool. Uh, really awesome to, to chat with him. And uh, we do have another item to add to the Wisco bucket list again. Oh, yeah. um, so keep uh, keep tabs on that. Keep visiting and, and exploring all these different areas. If you haven't already, please, uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcast or Spotify, uh, give us a, a rate, uh, like, review, whatever you got to do. Uh, really just helps kind of push that algorithm and, and expose exactly. us to new audiences uh, and more more organically, uh, if you will. And uh, check out our website, wisconsindrunkenhistory.com. You can learn uh, about our Patreon and, and becoming a paid subscriber. Uh, you can also find our T Public site where and you can buy a bunch awesome of merch. Merch, man! Yeah, it's a pretty cool store to be honest. Absolutely, yeah. And and uh, there's there's something for just about everyone in there. I mean, uh, we've got you know baby onesies and um, stickers for your cooler, big guy onesies, maybe even. I yeah, don't know. I, hell. We should. No one wants to see me in a onesie, but uh, I might. You want to see me in a onesie? Oh, uh, yeah, see, I'll rock Dude, it. Next time you come here, please. Um, but, uh, yeah, those are all really great things that you can find on the website as well as, uh, the episodes are posted there too. Um, 
Hey, and, and uh, uh, we really just encourage you to do whatever you can, even if it's that word of mouth, you know? Yeah, at least you don't have to financially support, but the word of mouth, just getting that one more listener yeah. could be like a big difference to us. And we really appreciate everyone that has done that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's already grown. It's already you know, uh, we've seen we've seen the fruits of of your labor and uh, and 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 it's paid off already incredibly. So thank you so much. But let's go ahead and jump in and learn more about Hal Leonard. For those of you like me who were in band and had to purchase the sheet music booklet every year with the songs we were planning on playing and also learning some of the basic notations for each instrument, well, you probably never really noticed, but on the front cover you may see of the name Hal Leonard. Did you know that they are Wisconsin-based and nationwide? Well, let's learn about how this famous company came to be. Yeah. In the late 1930s in Winona, Minnesota, the late Harold Hale Edstrom and his brother Everett Leonard Edstrom and their friend Roger Bus Dicker had formed a very popular dance band. Concerned that their conservative father wouldn't approve of using the name for, for the band, Harold and Ev took part of their names and called the band Hell Leonard because of the two names. Yeah. As leader of Hal Leonard Band, Evie eventually became known as Hal Leonard, the the band, Evie. The company Hal Hal Leonard was actually founded in 1947 after the Hal Leonard Band broke up, and at the time, Evie started a music store using the Hal Leonard name, while Roger and Hale were both in directing award-winning high school bands in Winona. In those days, most school bands played serious classical literature, but Harold and Roger had a unique ability because of their professional experience to arrange popular music for school bands which i actually am glad for because i yeah, would not have liked to play crappy music in school yeah soon band directors across the u.s wanted their arrangements they started to mimeograph copies and sell them they realized that to be successful and legally launch a new publishing company they need to license a song so that they're ventured to new york tin pin alley in search of copyrights and uh, that was kind of where everything was kind of held, held at the time, was Tin Pin Alley. Right. Um, what they got on their trip was an education in publishing and the rights to I Wonder Who's Kissing Her Now, one of the most popular songs of the day. Eventually, many music publishers in New York were licensing Hal Leonard to do school band arrangements of their songs. Thus began their publishing business in entirely a new industry completely. And I know for me, I remember we had to do like Lion King songs and stuff. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. With drums and then... All the classic Disney stuff. We and... did a lot of Disney uh, arrangements, stuff like that. Yeah. But in 1970, Keith Mardar, Mardak and Associates started a new division of Hale Leonard called Learning Unlimited to create the first book audio music instructional products. This division soon outgrew the company as Mardak was named general manager for all of Hale Leonard. And in 1985, an internal management team led by Marduk purchased Hale Leonard from its original founders. A new corporate headquarters was opened in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Wow! In addition to expand the Winona facilities to handle the company's dramatic growth. And under Marduk's leadership, Hale Leonard dr dramatically increased its publishing output and pursued a, th a series of acquisitions, leading to an unprecedented period of expansion for the company today. Hal Leonard is w the world's largest print music publisher with the number one methods for learning guitar, piano, band, orchestra, plus publication for learning virtually every instrument possible. And I know for me, the one of my favorite books I own is a Hal Leonard, Guitar Chords. Basically every guitar chord inside of it. It's like a guitar chord uh, encyclopedia. Right, right. It's just an incredible piece of literature. I remember I, remember I grabbed, I think, the, the, the complete... Blink One Eighty Two book too from oh like, yeah they it was a Hal um, Leonard too yeah from like uh, Breber music or whatever I had a Jimi Hendrix one too when I first yeah. started playing guitar I wanted to play like Hendrix so I had a white um you had a white Strat uh, white Strat for a while because yeah. I love Jimi Hendrix 
In addition to still being the leader in printed music publications, Hale Leonard was also led the way in digital music technology. And this was before four years be- before iTunes in 1997. So this is like a completely new whole deal. Oh, yeah. And they had thousands of songs arranged for different instruments available for download at guitarinstructor.com. Uh, featured online guitar lessons, tab arrangements, and thousands for thousands of songs. In addition, the company expanded purchasing the NoteFlight.com, a music composition website, and Groove3, a website providing online training for music technology, including some recordings and stuff like that. Because I remember Groove3 was like early yeah, on when the really, recordings... Really. Yeah. In addition, Essential Elements Interactive was added to the Essential Elements band and string methods, which added a valuable online component to benefit both instructors and students over half a million students access eei during the school year and i remember we had that late in my band like i was leaving school and this was kind of okay coming in the coming into fruition hal leonard continued the tradition of innovating in print music with the development of my lab library a cloud-based portal for their books and online content Customers who purchase books with the online audio access the content online using a unique code, which was basically just like a functional playback method just to learn instruments. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, Hal Leonard launched their own proprietary streaming ebook format, Hal Leonard Digital Books, which they're just trying to keep up with the times. Things are changing here. Well, they're trying to keep it from being uh, produced, you know, or copied, you know. And I mean, they were like the leader. Like, I mean, they before like Ultimate Guitar and other places you go for your tabs. Now, I mean, they were like they were like one of the first to do this. So these interactive cloud-based publications were designed specifically for musicians and included access to M'd videos or audio on many titles. And Hale Leonard launched the Essential Elements Music Class in 2019 to provide a cloud-based online resource for general music education, complete with songs, lessons for ukulele, recorder and other just music education in general. And I mean, with, with the times, it's probably such a great time before COVID, right? I mean, to have this, like, cloud-based. Yeah, I mean, this, they didn't even know COVID was coming, right? I, at least I hope not. The whole, you know, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't we think can jump knew. into some conspiracies if you want. Yeah, but. I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat here. but <laughs> In its catalog of more than one million available titles, Hale Leonard represents many of the world's best-known and most respected publishers, artists, songwriters, arrangers, and musical instrument manufacturers. Its products are sold in more than 65 countries throughout the world, and the Hale Leonard the Hale Leonard offices are also distributed throughout the world as well. Hale Leonard, they operate out of the two main facilities. It's in its corporate headquarters, like we said, is in Milwaukee, Milwaukee Wisconsin, yep. the main building, and a state-of-the-art administration, production, distribution facility in the Winona, Minnesota, where the original sure. Hale Leonard came from. The company also has domestic office in Boston, Austin, San Francisco, and also in Australia, Belgium, for our Belgium listener, they actually have one over there. Yeah. China, Germany, Netherlands, India, Italy, Switzerland, United Kingdom, London, and Bury Street, uh, Edmonds. Yeah. But today, the CEO, Larry Morton, along with 800 employees, continue to be the leader for providing these learning features for all music students and remain dedicated to their product and plan to for many years to come. And I remember, I think it was when I first started band, is before I like was able to do snare, I had the snare pad. And like basically the, with the snare pad, you just learn the beats. It's just it's only one line basically, and you learn it in the four measure. So it's yeah, exactly. You know, and I remember that was my first Hale Leonard book I owned. Learning different stroke rolls and stuff like that, paradiddles and exactly. Yeah, and they actually have all the accents in them. Like somebody who whoever does their notation is does a phenomenal job. Oh yeah, and 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 I mean honestly, those books are are literally the best. They're state of the art. They're they're. 
they're what's why so widely used. Uh, uh, not only just schools, uh, uh, but you know universities and, and yeah. other organizations, private organizations that do uh, band and and, uh, and and stuff. Like it just, it's great. It's such a it's such a cool. Um, piece that you know maybe it didn't get started here but uh, it's headquartered here and- oh yeah and you know for me like I remember going to uh, our hometown music store Breber's yeah Breber yeah um, and they always had Hal Leonard everything everything and I would go there to like rent my instruments I would go there to buy things a lot of times when I get guitar picks or drumsticks new drumsticks yeah yeah back in the day I mean that would be more of the accessory store but I remember buying a they didn't have very many um uh, guitars. Uh, no, they were, they they were licensed. They only with, like, had like PV. Ibanez and PV. I think yeah. were the two that they had on the show. And this and these were like the not. Uh, uh, I mean, they're they're like middle low, right? Yeah, they're they were like they were the crappy notch. versions. They're not of, first act, but they're like maybe a step above. Right, right. So. And these ones in particular weren't. They weren't selling the thousand dollar versions of Ibanez or or PV. They were selling like the three, three, four, five hundred yeah, bucks around and, that time. Um. But it was one of the memories growing up was going yeah, in there all the time. Grab, to, I'd break my sticks for a band and I'd go over there after school, pick yeah. them up because it's right across the street from our high school. So I'd just go there, pick up new sticks. Yeah, they I eventually needed. moved because otherwise they were downtown, remember, uh, mm-hmm. right on the square. And actually the funny thing with band, the only reason I took is because of this girl I liked. That was like my main reason for taking band. Yeah. Isn't that stupid? Was but, it I mean, I learned. How, oh, no. Not Miss Swoboda. No. <laughs> But I took it just for this girl, and it was like one of the hardest classes I've ever taken was jazz band. It's very difficult. It was difficult. Jazz yeah. band was insanely hard. Coming from like a snare and then, a, um, you know, just a doom, doom, yeah. doom, big drums. I mean, like super simple shit. And then you go with a bit like jazz band where it's like triplets and like really hard notations. Yeah. And I struggled. And to be honest, and I just did it for a chick. So if you're out there listening, no, I did that for you. Yeah, it was you. All right. So... Keeping in sort of theme uh, today with our interview coming up. Yeah, exactly. We, you know, we talked about a, a major music uh, tablature and sheet uh, uh, music producer uh, that sort of changed that entire market. And now we're going to talk a little bit about a great musician, a great band uh, from the Madison area. Um, Killdozer, if you if you don't it's know, it's classic. It's classic Wisconsin Madison based music. Yeah, Butch Vig, so early on in in the whole process of uh, of first of all creating your own home studio, uh, which was you know totally unheard of. Uh, uh, in order to get great audio, you you needed to go to the best studios, right? Uh, tell that to Butch Vig. He was like, no, I'm just going to create my own thing and and be able to record my best friends, and that's exactly what he did with Killdozer. Um, and, and Frank Anderson is a part of all of this oh, yeah, uh, of course. at this time, too. But um, just it, 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 here's the thing. Here's what I will say. It's unique. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to try to proposition this to you and say that it's the greatest music I've ever heard. Um, it is absolutely it's different. interesting for its day. It's interesting for yeah, sure. And, you know, the, this is 80s. This yeah, is mid 80s. And funny know? thing is, they actually took their name from a 1974 TV movie directed by Jerry London and not yeah. the guy who went ham and like went yeah. crazy with a killdozer. But yeah, they're kind of like a noise rock. They got a little post hardcore kind of an alternative rock sound experimental. Yeah. It's kind of funnier, interesting. comical lyrics, comical, maybe satirical. Um, but uh like I said, I'm not going to try to push this on you and say that this is the best thing I've ever heard, 
but I absolutely love it because it is absolutely different. And I think they are one of the bands that helped set kind of the foundation for the grunge rock because they were like in that Smart Studios, Nirvana, yeah. kind of all Smashing the Pumpkins Smashing came up Pumpkins. from Illinois to, so to record a bunch of They're definitely one of the here. foundations who helped create that experimental sound that was coming out at the time, kind of that raspy, grungy guitar. Yeah. And just kind of not, I wouldn't say low quality, but like just kind of like the guitar with just maybe a distortion on it, right? You right. Know, it like was going kind of, through just one single phase of, of uh, a distortion. Yeah. And, hey, that's and all it was. Way over, overpowered. You know, it's like uh, it's such a unique uh, sound. And, and again, like you said, kind of beginning the, the era, you know? Exactly. And uh, so we chose uh, one particular album that we actually will we'll talk to uh, uh, Frank later about, but uh, 12 Point Buck uh, is a Killdozer album from, uh, like we said, the 80s. Um, and the, the particular song that we're working with is new pants and shirt. Uh, it, it, again, it is absolutely different from what you've probably heard. If you haven't heard Killdozer, but it is phenomenal stuff. I, I like it. I'm, I really I'm do. I'm eclectic as heck and I love Killdozer. I've yeah. been a huge fan since the beginning of time. I mean, I always, when as a kid, I listened to like the Melvins, you know, like well, exactly. some of those weird, like Nirvana, obviously. I mean, everybody listens to Nirvana, but right. the Melvins kind of yeah. like that weird grungy stuff that never so. made it big. Yeah, and exactly. This is, and this kind of falls right in line. And I still love these guys. I still yeah, have, yeah. have this album complete. Yeah. So Yeah, so uh, we'll go ahead and play for you once again. It's Kill Dozer, and the song is New Pants and Shirt. Rather than let my 
That was killed though. Classic killed awesome. that amazing. That was all of your uh uh, uh maybe your first uh, introduction to this. Your uh first time ever hearing something uh so amazing is what we'll say. Uh but uh we're going to go ahead and launch right into our beverage review segment. Uh we have a beautiful brew yeah, from Giant Jones Brewery, actually, in the Madison area. Yeah. And uh, I ended up stopping out there to grab another growler of this one. But they do have kind of like, I guess, some kind of art. It's like basically like a troll with one eye in a like a nice little Mr. Rogers suit. Oh, neat. On, on, the, on the logo. Um, but Giant Jones, if you haven't heard of them, they're in the Madison area. Um, I think Jessica Jones is one of the owners. Super, super awesome person. Nice, yeah. Um, but they are a certified USDA organic um, brewery. Okay. And this one is their double IPA. Just a very good beer. Um, so this one is probably one of the, like their heavier ones when it comes to percentage. I actually don't have a percentage because, like I said, it's in a growler. But, but this it, one, it, it's heavier. It's heavier. I'm guessing it's probably around 8 maybe 9%. Okay. I, that's what I'm thinking. Um, this one is a, a double international parallel dry hopped with New Zealand, tahiki, juicy mango, papaya, and passion fruit aromas, lean crackery malt, and dry finish. And obviously with your IPAs, you're going to get that dry finish, right? I mean, you're getting that alcohol booziness from it because it's just such a high percentage. But I do like that the passion fruit is coming through, like the fruity notes a little bit. And this one has, when we poured it, and I don't know if it's from sitting, but it has a little bit of a haziness to it. You know, your IPA color, that like light yellow brownish color. Right. But just really good beer. And obviously like Giant Jones Brewery is one of the newer ones that popped up. And I saw them on Wisconsin Foodie and I'm like, you know what? I need to go and stop and see them. Like they seem like a really cool people in a really great brewery, and I'm glad I did because this beer is phenomenal. Yeah, and like you said, uh, the fact that it's uh, certified organic. Um, I mean, they just use really good quality ingredients, and uh, they're making some pretty cool stuff out there. And uh, definitely on that nano market, you know. Yeah, and I mean, they, I think they do like a lot of partnerships with some of like the locally f- local farmers and stuff, which is right. really cool. So a lot of their stuff does come locally, or you know, in the neighborhood area, somebody maybe growing some hops or something. Yeah. I think they try to do that. And I wanted to get a bottle, and I didn't. I ended up getting a growler, but I did see the bottle, and the artwork is actually pretty phenomenal. It's pretty cool. A lot of things seem like they're like cyclops, and I don't know the entire reason for that. Maybe it has something to do with the giant Jones, like he's a giant with one eye. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not 100 percent sure. I I mean. <laughs> 
but I do recommend it. I mean, it's just phenomenal. They actually have a certificate um, of, of being organic, which is pretty impressive, to be yeah. honest, um, to find a brewery that is. But yeah, they're located in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, they have a tasting room and just a cool place. I went in there and I was like, this just feels like I would fit in here. Like, just, oh, yeah. You can just be yourself there. And I like that aspect of it. You can kind of just be, you know, the the fucking greasy farmer you are man and and that's what they, they support local farmers like me grease balls you know what i mean just covered in dirt and chicken shit. i love i love that if anybody hadn't ever seen you before they're they probably just, just think i'm like this. they probably they, think i look like pig pen from charlie you, brown yeah they think you are the one-eyed fucking troll from this thing. yeah dude and it's like you're totally normally look you're totally yeah, yeah. like it's, i just have dirty clothes a lot of times because i'm working really hard <laughs> like on the farm where i'm working on tractors and stuff that's like the only thing covered in grease you or, really sell yourself short here bud yeah i do but again go please go and check this one out um go and check out giant drones brewery in madison wisconsin just a phenomenal brewery and kind of a newer one that popped up i think a few years ago but go and check them out great beer great atmosphere check them out grab a seat gather around join us for how many locos you have? All right, folks, you know what that means. Today we have a special one. It's the How Many Locos segment. We got a Mo WI. It is uh, something straight out of a country song. Uh, oh, yeah. So uh, this is from Jackson, Wisconsin. Uh, man driving lawnmower charged with fourth OWI. Authorities said a man who drove a lawn tractor on the sidewalk street and into the Walgreens parking lot in Washington County is facing his fourth drunken driving charge. Uh, squad car video shows that the man uh, on the lawn tractor driving near Highway 60 in Jackson, uh, he was motioning cars around him uh, when an officer pulled up behind him in the road. Uh, and this was uh, a Sunday evening, of course. Uh, you know, what yeah. better day to drive your tractor drunk? Jesus is watching you that day. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, he forgives. Uh, the dash cam video showed the man pulling into the Walgreens parking lot. Uh, he actually pulls into a spot and mashes the curb. Uh, the wheels obviously don't go over, so he just like instantly stops. Um, older cub almost looking thing. Yeah, it looked like an old cub. Uh, older cub, yeah. Uh, so the man appeared intoxicated and unaware that he could uh, not drive a lawnmower in the street. Hmm. I had no fucking idea, you know. Uh, <laughs> who'd have thunk? Jackson police said a preliminary breath test showed that the 69-year-old man had a blood alcohol content of 0.21%, more than two and a half times. Uh, Wow, he is pushing some uh, alcohol through those uh, veins, man. Lucky he didn't pass out on it, I think, because that's pretty high up there, I think. Yeah. Um, The man is being held in the Washington County Jail on $1,200 bond. I mean, shit. Sixty-nine so we, years old. Point two point two one. Yeah. Percent blood alcohol. So he's up there. I mean, this guy is like not like he's he not looks new. hammered as shit. He's not new at drinking. Oh no, the fourth. Yeah. So he's not new at drinking. Wow. I don't know what to do. Mo WIs mowing the lawn goes to Walgreens. Not a good good idea. Also, unaware that you can't drive a tractor on the on the on the road. I. I think that's somewhere in the DOT manual. Well, I think that's probably somewhere <laughs> where you learn stuff. So, uh, but you know, uh, we don't have a, a you know, uh, we don't have a ton of info really. No, we do I, know sixty nine. We have a blood alcohol though, which is kind of nice. And he's a he's a veteran for in the video. Yeah, the video shows everything. I think the video proves to me the most. 
Um, I think I got a number, Eric. I, do you have a number? I think so. Okay. Um, do you want to go on three, two, one, see where we're at? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Three, two, one, fourteen. 12. Okay, we are right in the neighborhood. Yeah. So I think we got to go a thirteen local with yeah, this guy. Yeah, I could split the hairs with you there. Um, Unlucky. Yeah, 13, thir- loco, thirteen loco. Uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, just trying to get to the Walgreens, uh, or maybe he's not even trying to go to Walgreens. I don't really he know what he's Watched a Packer game, had a few brewskis. Oh, with the that's boys, true. You know, yeah. heading to the Walgreens, got to get some prescription medication. Yeah, not yeah. a good idea. Just trying to get some. Maybe he had to get some rubs, rubbers, some rubs. Yeah, he's gonna do some stuff after the Packer game. You don't know. He's I don't get know. Frisky, sixty-nine years old. You maybe never know. The, maybe he needed the blue pill. You oh, know that's what we're true talking too. About. That's probably what, what I meant. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm ready. Uh, Thirteen loco. Sell that gamble, um, dude. Law and order, this moth. Law and order. All right, we've got another uh, item of uh, attraction list? for the Wisco bucket list. Heck this yeah. is, uh, hey, you're gonna be here anyway. You're gonna go to the Wisconsin Dells, so. You might as well stop at this place. Russ, tell us a little more. Yeah, so this is the H.H. Bennett Studio. And if you want to know the reason the Dells is the Dells and why it's a popular tourist attraction, you you have to stop here. You have to. And uh, this studio was actually built in 1875, obviously by H.H. Bennett, who we've had on a previous podcast. If you want to learn more, definitely go back and check that episode out. Yeah. I think we did a pretty good job on that one, actually. Yeah. And it's actually one of the places um, that was donated to the Wisconsin Historical Society, so it's well-maintained. And it's actually listed on the National Register of Historic Places as a historical museum. And it's right downtown in the Dells. If you're going to be on the main drag there, going through all the tour shops, and yeah. definitely stop in there and uh, just pay your homage to this guy, man. I mean, he won- he's the one who started it all. And it's, again, it is the history. Uh, so if you're really interested, uh, you know, plenty of my friends uh, go up there pretty regularly and really enjoy everything that the Dells has to offer uh, and, and and still haven't gone to this particular studio. You, uh, I mean, you got to. I mean, there's the water yeah. parks. There's the amusement parks. There's, like, everything you can think of. But yeah. you got to actually pay homage to the man who actually made the Dells the Dells, right? Yeah. So uh, that's just another uh, little Wisco bucket list item that you got to check out. Uh, we definitely encourage that you follow along, create this list, uh, and, and then – Check it off. Make it a checklist. Send us the pictures when you do it. All right. Today we're here with Frank Anderson, legendary historian, author, director, musician, and animator. Frank, how are you doing today? Great. So can you give us a how little... How are you guys? We're doing great, actually. Yeah, it's good, a great good. little Sunday. Um, So we heard that you did some recording over at the um, Smart Studios. Uh, we got to hear a little bit of story on that. Oh, yeah. Well, I did a lot of recording at Smart Studio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I didn't even know it was happening at the time it happened. You know, the, the what they labeled the grunge scene. Yeah. So in some ways, I'm the official pedal steel player of grunge music. Awesome. And I, I was it. told that later, but I, I don't, you know, that doesn't make sense to me because everybody involved in that studio, we're old friends. We've been playing in the Madison scene years before coming up as a teenager I, I knew them yeah and uh you know it just happened and i played on i think the first thing i played on was uh killdozer and uh 12 point buck the, the official yes. album of killdozer. Heck yeah yeah <clears throat> and i think i played accordion on that and then <laughs> and then it you know just went from there and at the time though my full-time job was i was a director animator but I always stopped at Smart for coffee or whatever, 
and invariably something would come up. Like you want to go upstairs and do a remix uh, for some band from Canada that's on Decca Records or something like that. That's cool. So one thing after another just happened. So I think I was on, I don't know, 40 to, I can't even count the number of recordings I was on. <laughs> that's awesome. But, but it was a lot of fun. And it's not what you think. I mean, a lot of people, you know, it has become glamorized, right? Since yeah. Then? Cause, but at the time, it was like, you know, you play for fun on a bunch of tracks. And then, out of, you know, Butch became famous. Once he became famous, you had to sign studio documents and you were actually paid by a record label, wow. that sort of thing. Yeah. But to me, it was still fun. You know, it's just, I was just happy to see, well, anybody would. <laughs> you could cut a track and, you know, a month later, it'd be in the record stores. That, oh, that was fun. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like an amazing experience. I mean, our limited yeah. musicians, you know, us, we haven't been in a studio like that, you know, especially yeah. like in the in the, in the the prime of grunge, you know, just incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's and then, pretty funny, yeah. And, and, then, and then reading about it in the music trades at the time, that was fun too. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in the same place that, you know, not only things like Killdozer comes out of, but then... Uh, uh, obviously, Smashing Pumpkins recorded there a bunch, and uh, Nirvana, Nirvana. yeah, just, cut cut some stuff oh, there. A and, huge range of bands. Yeah. And I'm just compiling now uh, for Wisconsinology. I'm compiling a, a, a playlist on on Spotify of the history of Wisconsin music. Awesome. Which, by the way, when you see it, it's kind of devastating because you realize that every music form came came from songs written here first. Yeah. You know, the cornerstone of gospel music was written here. The cornerstone of American country music was written here, you know, like that. So I've, I've playlists that go from eight, 1850 to 1900, 1900 to 1920, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Just type in Wisconsinology on Spotify and you'll get there. It's a work in progress right now. Yeah, awesome. no, no, we've definitely listened to some of them. And uh, where, where, so we can find that at, like, where can we find all the Wisconsinology stuff at? Uh, you, you mean the, the music? Uh, just the Wisconsinology where you, yeah, the music or the... Oh, Wis well, Wisconsinology.com has okay. all the links you need. And I do a regular uh, uh, mini uh, radio show up here that, that they have online. It's on YouTube. And that's 91.1, The Avenue. I do, it's called Wisconsinology on Music. And the link to that is on the front page of wisconsinology.com. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and I know for us, we always say this, like on every episode, like the talent in the state is just incredible. We don't get the exposure like you do on the West or East Coast. You know, it's it's really sad to see, but. It is, and, and it's ingrained an attitude in Wisconsinites like, no matter the whole point of Wisconsinology, why I started it was, well, everything comes from here. Everything. I'm not kidding. Yeah. And every and I'm not talking everything like, oh, we have an architect. No, we have Frank Lloyd Wright, the greatest architect in the world. Exactly. Oh, we have a guitar player. No, we have Les Paul, who yeah. invented the you know the modern sound of America and all of its tools. <laughs> right. It it kept being like that, and I had to do something about it. So I did Wisconsinology. But the people around me kept going, I didn't know that. And, oh, you're lying. You know, they're, they're ingrained to be humble, and they shouldn't be. They should have Texas-sized ego. 
Right, right. Yeah, exactly. But instead, you can't even get them to admit that they that they did anything you know special or fantastic. You know, no that 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 Midwestern thing of being yeah. humble and and oh, it was nothing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it was. And 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 you know what? And that's that's one of the 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 reasons why we you know started what we're doing here, and and uh, it was that same kind of idea that uh, there's so much to talk about. Like we could do. Uh, 10 years worth of episodes and, and then still have 10 more years uh, of subjects to, to talk about. And, and, you know, that's, that's literally the best part of, of, of being able to try to chronicle uh, uh, and, and talk about the, the Wisconsin uh, like theme. Like it's just, it's so expansive. And it, and it goes back to, uh, well, way before the state became a state and it's, it's bottomless. Although I found that, you know, there's an awful lot of uh, Wisconsin monsters, supernatural sites. Oh, yeah. There. yeah. There's a lot of them. And I, I don't, you know, I had the same thing happen to me. But, you know, our monsters and legends are awesome, right? Yeah. But you're, you're going to run out of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and I, I, hit, I hit that wall in 2010. And now I'm seeing everybody else hit that wall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's a, a kind of a limited number of of haunted and cryptid and and supernatural, but uh, you know, as far as uh, being able to kind of broaden the broaden the spectrum a little bit and just say Wisconsin, and uh, and, yeah. and that's that's sort of the the nice <laughs> thing about you know, especially what you do, and and uh, um, and and I'm super excited to to go on Spotify and and get this playlist because. Uh, it you know I, I had the I downloaded the um, the smart studios uh, documentary that they made uh, and and I rewatch it all the time because it is just so addicting really? to see uh, everything that they talk about in that thing and, and just realize that yeah it started as uh, literally uh, after drinking out at the bar they'd walk across the street and say uh, do you want to record something <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just can't even believe well, it. it really it- it really was that informal before Nirvana, right? Before it got, like you said, yeah. commercialized as much as it did, and, yeah. and when Butch uh, finally, when he struck it big, uh, that's when you start getting all the the contracts and and uh, and and the the suits involved, oh, yeah. but... like a like a like a real paycheck from Warner Brothers or A and M Records, right? You know, the old giants, the old giant labels. Yeah, that was. I mean, that that was. Are, are you kidding me? Is, are you really giving me this? You know? Yeah. Which is crazy because it, it, it was the, the, the studio the itself. The bar across the street. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. The, you brought up the bar across the street. Yeah. From Smart. That was great. <laughs> I mean, I remember those days being just, it was great. You go over there and you'd get crappy Pilsner beer yep. in small glasses. And that's all I remember is like lots of small glasses. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't and, such and a thing the, as a big pint, you know. The, yeah, and you brought the party over. Well, it was it was such a classic bar from the fifties, you know, leftover, and uh, everybody was it was a, it was an older person's bar, really. Yeah, at the time when when I was young. Yeah, and, and the, like you said, there wasn't anything glamorous about about the studio either. I remember in in that documentary they talk about uh, they would call up their friends to help come over and and uh, put milk cartons, milk crate things on the wall to, to oh, dampen that, the sound. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't fall for that milk crate story. I know. That, oh, is that, that is that not real? Uh, 
milk crates, let's just say milk crates were put up, but everybody and their uncle in Madison claims to have put up milk crates, uh, <laughs> egg crates. And, yeah. and it's not, you know, it, it just got out of hand. I mean, <laughs> when Wendy Schneider was making the film, she said she had way too much footage of people saying they had to be, you know, they, they want to be on camera saying something folksy like yeah. I put up, I helped put up the egg crates. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, let's just say it, it, it's a, that's a little bit overblown. It just you couldn't fit that many people in the room. <laughs> no, you couldn't. You'd have half the population. <laughs> the studio would have to be as big as yeah. uh, RCA, you know, uh, which it wasn't. Yeah. You can drive by the building right now, and it is not that big. <laughs> but those were such fun days. Yeah, you know, the, it, it was. It was a. It was great for you. I just sh- you know I'd show up. I'd show up. I'd have a coffee. And you want to do this? Sure. And then, boom, you know, then you're done. Then you back out, have some more beers, whatever. Yeah. And it was nothing official and until, of course, these record companies invaded and wanted that magic. Crazy. And it's the second, second of world-famous, important, uh, three world-famous, important studios that popped up in this state. The first being uh, Paramount Records in Grafton, where all the great blues recordings yeah. of the late 1920s and 30s, right? The basis of American music, of American rock music and blues music. Yeah. And the second being smart, I'd make a strong argument for Kuka Records in Sauk City being another oh, yeah. one. That's a huge uh, DIY label, one man operation, and that. I mean, they, they cranked out everything from R&B to polka. And and then, of course, the latest being the one in Eau Claire. The, what's his name? Justin Vernon. Yeah, Justin Vernon, yeah, from uh, Bonavere. Yeah. Bonavere, which is a force of nature unto itself. Oh, of oh, course, yeah. 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 So, Frank, I know you... Oh, go ahead, Frank. Go on. No, I just... Oh, I was going to uh, say, <laughs> are sorry. you guys Bonavere fans? Oh yeah, I oh, love yeah. Bon Iver. Yeah. Um, Holocene is okay. probably one of my favorites. Hey Ma, lately I've been listening to. I love his music. Skinny Love. Oh yeah, Skinny Love. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that because I run into so many people across the state, uh, younger, who are angry because they do not rock. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I found that so 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 you know why don't you like Bon Iver? They're huge. They can sell out anywhere in the world. The world. You hear me? The world. Yeah. No, they don't rock. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's just not that same appreciation for just good musicianship, artistry. Uh, yeah, the, the artistry alone, and and then just uh, uh, the, the it's it's a com- it's a composition. It's it's a it's a real yeah. it's a real piece of art instead of just three chords and you know which hey all all itself is is great too. I, I, the three chord four chord punk thing is fine, and and the, and the real rock stuff is great. But you know something about putting together a real thought out piece uh, with you know yeah, really yeah. intelligent musicians is great. Yeah, it's, it's actually more symphonic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But they uh, they like all the studios I've mentioned. They invented a, a, a scene and a sound that spread all over the world. Yeah. And that, that's my that's the criteria for what makes a great studio. It starts something brand new. So I, I guess I'd say we have three of those. So, so Frank, I know you've been involved in some other amazing projects, and I know you're an author as well. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about those? 
Uh, what kind of projects? <laughs> you mean uh, uh, animation and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just some where we can find more Frank, basically. We need more Frank. Oh, well, you know, most of my life I was an animation director and an animator. I started in the hand-drawn days in San Francisco. So I began uh, doing all kinds of commercials. And that's where the money was. And animation was hot when I began. So I, you know, I, I turn in 300 drawings a week. Now these drawings were rough, and there's, uh, if you understand animation, hand-drawn animation, yeah, um, they're 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 quick drawings. You, know, you want to catch the action, and it goes through various departments until it reaches ink and paint. And then circumstances brought me home, back home from San Francisco, in the late 80s, and I had to be my own. I had to create my own world, or get a real job. <laughs> and I decided to create my own world. There you go. And I, I became, uh, I started doing commercials first uh, regionally, and it built. And pretty soon I was directing nation, national commercials. Now, my question to you is, did you what, did you guys grow up in the 90s? Or? Yeah. Yep. That was kind of like the, the heart of where, okay. yeah, where we grew up, yeah. Okay. You saw my work almost, if you watch TV. Yeah. You saw my work almost every night or every day. But it's such ephemeral, and you know, there's no credit for that. But, and I'll tell you the reason why. I did a lot of candy commercials. Ooh. So if you're a kid, you know, you're seeing the Butterfinger Skittles, all that stuff. Yeah. You'd you'd see that daily, and I had a hand in, or did entirely a lot of those. And then I directed a lot of uh, what are called interstitials. An interstitial is like a the one-minute piece on TNT or AMC that Mm -hmm. defines a genre they're about to present. So I did a lot of those. A sci-fi network, uh, children's television workshop, that sort of thing. Turner Classic Movies, quite a few. So I did a lot of the long pieces for that. And those were fun because they were like mini-movies. And then uh, that was going real well. And then the bottom dropped out of that market. And I started doing documentaries and films, and I directed The Life of Riley, which is a very uh, critically successful national release. It's in an amazing movie. Oh, you've seen it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I saw it at one of the That's film incredible. festivals, actually. I went and saw it. Well, wait, which one? Um, I think it was at the Beloit one. I believe that one was featured, if I remember. Really? Yeah, oh, it was wow. It was incredible. I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. I love that movie too. <laughs> yeah, it, it it was a, a premiere at uh, South by Southwest in 2006, and that was really fun and exciting. And it made its way. Unfortunately, it's about the life of Charles Nelson Riley for your listeners. Sure. Unfortunately, he died right after completion, so he could not promote it. But that was a lot of fun, and that's the sort of thing I I just did a 20-second animation piece that will be appearing in a HBO Max series that will uh, premiere in July called The Last Movie Stars, The Life of Paul Newman and Joe Oh, nice. Woodward. Yeah. Okay, I think I brought you up to the present. Yeah, who, yeah. who doesn't love Paul Newman? I mean, that guy is awesome. <laughs> and, I love it. Well, it's high time for rediscovery. Yeah, Charles Nelson Riley again too. Amazing comedian. Amazing comedian, and then uh, on the game shows, uh, was just one of the best at uh, 
at, at keeping everybody on their toes. I just, I absolutely love, yeah. uh, I love watching <laughs> that. And it, him, him and, and, uh, you know, Richard, uh, uh, what was his last name? Um, but you know, the, the, the game show guys, it's just absolutely phenomenal. And then, yeah, if you, if you get a chance to check out life of Riley, obviously there's so much more to, uh, Charles Nelson Riley as well. Oh, it's, um, it's really about his, his, uh, uh the film is really about his mother, but yeah. we disguise that. Yeah. And Frank, I know you're also an author as well. Uh, do you want to talk about your book quickly before we let you go today? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I write a lot. I do a lot of uh, uh, writing for. Uh, I guess they still call them magazines, right? And uh, they have what they. Uh, I wrote. Uh, it, it's a small book, I think. It's a trade publication, uh, History Press. It's called Wicked Fox Cities, and I wrote that in four months, while I was on the road and directing animation. So I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it in a while, and I'm kind of afraid to. I actually own a copy. It's in my library currently. You did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Well, to me, the whole book is a fever dream because I was writing it between <laughs> uh, 11 a.m. and 4 a.m. And, and giggling a lot. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was uh, you know, lack of sleep. That's what it is. It's a product of lack of sleep. But uh, I've been told that it's unlike any of those wicked books, but yeah. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. um, I did enjoy it. I enjoy it. I just don't remember it. That sounds like an amazing time to write. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the best yeah. time to write. <laughs> no, it's not. It's kind of torture. <laughs> it is torture, right? But, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I think the book begins, I think a lot of the book happens before there's even a Fox City. It's... Uh, during the the French reign and the, the, the various tribes that moved in and out and through here, uh, which are full of you know folklore and tales and and, and uh, stories already. Yeah, exactly. No, I love that book. I, it's actually on my Wisconsin book, my bookshelf. Really? It's yeah. A, yeah, it's one of my favorites. And actually, uh, well, you guys are surprising me left and right. Oh, <laughs> we're uh, we're pretty uh, eclectic human beings, me and Eric. That's for sure. <laughs> good we need more of you thank you but frank thank you so much for your time on this sunday we really appreciate it and uh hopefully one of these days we can get together and uh, i'd love to talk you off about more wisconsin oh, history yeah. you know us we're history nerds so oh i would love to and there's so much information that i'd love to drop on your head or direction oh to. please Absolutely, do Absolutely, yeah uh, yeah uh, and to help you find those next 20 years down the road. Yeah. Perfect. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your, thanks for much, uh, so much for taking time out of your Sunday to uh, talk with us, Frank. Well, thank you. All right. You have a great day. Great. See ya. See Bye. ya. All right, that concludes this episode of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. If you enjoyed this vulgar display of Wisconsin, please like and subscribe on whatever streaming platform you prefer. And remember to hit the bell on YouTube to be notified when we release new content. Also, if you have any suggestions or ideas for future episodes, please send us an email at widrunkenhistory at gmail.com or head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Thanks again for listening. And remember, as always, watch out for deer on your way home. home.